I'm going to talk about something um, that I think the world is in short supply of, uh, and that's hope. Um, there's a story that I ran across the other day. <laughs> it was kind of a funny story. Uh, it was a preacher talking about how he's not very much, a, he's not really a connoisseur of art, but he saw a painting that had a really good message and that spoke to him um, sort of on a deep level. And the scene was, uh, it was a mountain shack that had burned to the ground. The only thing that was left was the chimney, sort of the last remnant of this family's sole possession. And in front of this burned down shack was a sort of grandfather-aged man just dressed in his underwear and a little boy who was just clutching some patched up overalls. Uh, and it, you could tell that the boy was, was upset, crying. Uh, and below the painting, um, sort of where the title would go, uh, you could see the grandpa was saying to this little boy, um, hush up, child, God ain't dead. <laughs> and so in the midst of this family losing seemingly everything, this grandfather looked down at the child and just reminded him in a simple grandfatherly way, hey, God ain't dead, there's still more work to do. And that was an, an incredible picture of hope. Uh, there's a couple of quotes that I found. Now we can throw those up there. This, this one I, I loved. Uh, a man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked a boy in the dugout what the score was, and the boy responded, Man, it's 18 to nothing, and we're behind. And uh, he's, the spectator said, Boy, I bet you're discouraged. He said, Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> I, just, I loved it. I loved that little kid. Man, that's awesome. Little kid's got a lot of hope there. Uh, this next one, I think, is really amazing. During the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century, a German pastor named Paul Gerhardt uh, and his family were forced to flee from their home. And one night as they stayed in a small village, uh, a small village inn, homeless and afraid, uh, the wife broke down and cried openly in despair. And to comfort her, Gerhardt reminded her uh, of Scripture um, and promises in it about God's provision and keeping. And then going out to the garden to be alone, he too broke down and wept. Uh, he felt uh, he had come uh, to their darkest hour. But soon afterward, Gerhardt felt the burden lifted and uh, sort of a, a new uh, presence from the Lord. And taking uh, his pen, he wrote a hymn that has brought comfort to many. Give to the winds your fears, hope, and be undismayed. God hears your sighs and counts your tears, and God shall lift you up, uh, lift up your head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Uh, who thou, what does that say? Wait thou his time, so shall the right soon end in joyous day. So shall the night end in joyous day. What an amazing word picture about hope. Again, I think that hope, the idea of hope, is something that this world is just in short supply of. And I'll give you kind of a, a more contemporary and concrete example. There's a, a rapper uh, named, simply named Logic, um, who's been kind of climbing the charts with some songs recently. Uh, he has a hit song and the song title is 1-800-273-8255. Now, if you don't recognize that phone number, that's okay. <laughs> but that phone number is actually the suicide prevention hotline. And that's what his song is titled. 
Recently, uh, at the MTV Video Awards, uh, he did a live performance of this song. Behind him, while he was doing the song, were people dressed in white t-shirts that had the number plastered on it. And all of these people behind him, it was a huge crowd of people in these white t-shirts with this number on it. They were all suicide, people who have attempted suicide but lived. And the, one of the spokesmen for the suicide prevention hotline said that that night, their calls increased by 50% after his performance. And even more than that, year over year, since his song has been out, since like 2015, the suicide prevention hotline has increased their traffic 33% year over year. Simply from a song with the number as the title. People in our world today are desperately looking for hope. You know, this week I was drawn to the story of Moses. Um, I'm not sure why. I've, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed the story of Moses, but there was something that was tugging at me to, to sort of reread the story of Moses and kind of everything that went and happened as he was uh, born and then brought up in, in Egypt uh, as a son of Pharaoh and then called by God to lead people, the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. <clears throat> and if I couldn't think of a more appropriate story to talk about hope than the story of the Israelites coming up out of slavery in Egypt. You see, when Moses came, the Israelites had been in slavery for about 400 years. That's a long time. And what was so interesting is that before this, Egypt and Israel were kind of buddies. <laughs> if you remember a, a little guy in the Old Testament before um, Moses named Joseph, Joseph had actually worked with Pharaoh, a Pharaoh, <clears throat> uh, and made Israel and Egypt partners. <clears throat> and then something had happened after Joseph and that Pharaoh died. Egypt forgot about that partnership and eventually enslaved the Israelites. And that's where Moses came in. But in addition to being drawn back to the story of Moses, I was reminded of one of my favorite animated films. Uh, and it's called The Prince of Egypt. I, just, I love that movie. I don't know why. It, it kind of takes some historical and um, biblical creative licenses, but it's, for the most part, pretty good. <laughs> but there's a song inside of that um, movie when Moses, part of Moses' life was after he had seen an Egyptian um, doing what Egyptians were doing to their slaves, whipping an, uh, a Hebrew... Moses was overcome with anger and he ended up killing this Egyptian. And because of that, he fled. He ran away. And he went and lived in a land, in the land called Midian, where he married and, and had a couple of kids. But his father-in-law, in the movie Prince of Egypt, sings this song. And one of the first lines in the song was that a single thread in a tapestry doesn't see itself as a part of the grander design. It's just a single thread. And I started to make this correlation of the Bible as a tapestry, this really amazing um, piece of art, if we could think of like a rug or, or, or a curtain or something like that, that's loomed together. This single thread 
that runs through the entirety of Scripture, if we thought of it that way, I think the one thread that stands out the most in every story in Scripture is hope. Is hope. From beginning to end, one of the main pieces of thread of this tapestry is hope. We see it all throughout Scripture, from Noah to Joseph to Moses to Jonah to David. And it seems to all lead up to one event, and that's Jesus. Everything in Scripture, every story that we read from the Old Testament, where Noah was called by God to save humanity. And when he was called to save humanity, he was called to do so because of hope. And when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, Joseph later recalls as he's second in command over Egypt and his brothers come begging for food, Joseph is reminded that God did this and God allowed this to happen so that bigger things could be done. You see, Joseph understood that God was getting things prepared that were beyond himself. Joseph was getting ready to provide hope to people who needed it. Same thing with Moses, leading people, leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He was doing so because of hope. God had given them, God had promised them a land that was going to be theirs, that was flowing with milk and honey, which is just Christianese for, uh, it, was, it was a land that was full of prosper. They were going to actually be able to own land and be prosperous in this land. Jonah, <laughs> Jonah is one of the funniest stories about hope in the Old Testament, I think, for me. You see, Jonah, Jonah's, I, I, I feel like Jonah is kind of like my, my spiritual brother in a lot of ways. <laughs> you see, Jonah was a prophet. He was called to preach. And Jonah um, didn't like the calling that he had. God told him to go to this city called Nineveh. And Jonah, Jonah didn't really like that calling. <laughs> and so Jonah thought, oh, well, I know how to solve this. <laughs> I'll just run away. <laughs> and I think I've done that a lot in my own life. God has called me to certain things, and I think, yeah, but I'm pretty comfortable right here. <laughs> and so I don't know if I want to do that right now in my life. Thankfully, I haven't been eaten by any big fish. But... That's what happened to Jonah. Jonah was eaten by this giant aquatic sea creature uh, for three days, sat inside this creature, uh, and then in a sort of like God does with his sense of humor, Jonah was vomited up on the beach later, and then um, smelling and stinking actually went to Nineveh. And so Joseph, Joseph, Jonah, went to preach about the hope that God offers. Jonah didn't quite learn his lesson, though, did he? You see, Jonah's the only prophet, the only preacher in the Old Testament that actually wanted the people that he preached to to die. (laughs) Do you guys remember that part of the story? After Jonah went, he preached, and he didn't think that anybody listened. And so he went and sat up on a hill waiting for God to rain fire down on Nineveh. So he was like, oh, they didn't listen, God, I promise. And then God teaches Jonah a little lesson about hope and about what God can do in impossible situations. But that was a story of hope. As 
sorted and, and sort of awkward as it is because Jonah, Jonah had some weird theories about the people of Nineveh. And then David. Oh, David. <laughs> oh, David. If David isn't a picture of hope, I'm not sure what is. A couple of weeks ago in um, Children's Church, we were talking about David and his best friend. See, we had a, the lesson was about having best friends. David had one. His name was Jonathan. And I talked to the kids about my best friend. I have a couple of best friends. Misty's my best friend. <laughs> but I also have a... What did you, you say? Did you say I'm making it up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. What? <laughs> but I actually have a best friend that I've known longer than Misty. Um, I have a friend named Zach. Uh, Zach and I met 20 years ago when we were freshmen in high school. Uh, we found out that we were both... I went to Jinx Central when it still existed, and he went to Jinx East. And in eighth grade, when we were both in eighth grade, uh, the Jinx Middle Schools, because there were two at the time, did Bye Bye Birdie as their musical. And we both played the same part. We were both the leads in our respective schools. And so that's how we became friends, um, which is a stupid story, I know, but that's how we became friends. And I don't care. Uh, it's my story, and it's fine. So, but we've been friends ever since. I don't know why, because Zach infuriates me most times. But um, I'm sure that I equally infuriate him in a lot of areas in my life. So that's just how it is. Zach is um, athletic and mostly good-looking, um, and I am not. So we just work together. We're just opposites, and that's fine. Um, but Zach and I have been best friends for the better part of 20 years. And David had that with Jonathan. There was a time in David's life where he was the only person that could calm the king down. You remember this part of the story. King Saul had this, was known for his just sort of fiery and um, <laughs> just out of nowhere anger. <laughs> uh, and in those moments, David would just pull out his little harp and he would start playing it and then the king would calm down. Um, which I feel like you would probably have to be really good at the harp to calm somebody down who's angry because the harp's not that great. Sorry if you're a harp player, but I just like... I mean, the harp is like a weird instrument, I think. But, but David, that's what David did. He calmed the king down. Uh, until this one time that um, Saul got really, he was really upset, and David tried to calm him down, and then Saul threw a spear at him. Yeah, that was kind of like the tipping point, and David ran. <laughs> David, David got out of there. But David and Jonathan were having secret meetings behind Saul's back, and Jonathan, Jonathan and David made a promise together. Jonathan would warn David if Saul was going to try and come after him. And sure enough, that's what happens. Uh, Saul made a, a, a vow that he was going to find David. He was going to kill him. And so Jonathan uh, was able to get a secret message to David telling him to run because his, da his dad, the king, was in fact after him. Uh, and of course we know the story. Eventually uh, David is anointed as king and he becomes king over Israel. But David's story isn't, doesn't end there. You see, David's story is full of hope. Of course, he had hope in his best friend Jonathan. But even later in his life, David had more hope 
<laughs> but David's life wasn't without mistakes. Of course, one of his most well-known stories is Goliath. But one of his most, I'd say, probably best-known mistake was infidelity with a woman named Bathsheba. And so David saw Bathsheba, fell in lust with her probably, (laughs) brought her to the palace. David should have been at war, but he wasn't. Brought her to the palace. Uh, They shacked up. She got pregnant. And in an effort to cover it up, he had her husband killed. Ooh. Kind of a pricey mistake. But even in that mistake, David had hope. You see, God was willing to work with David. Now, there are consequences for our actions always, and there were consequences for David's actions. But even in that, even in David's darkest hour, he had hope. And he is now known as one of the pillars of Old Testament truths. In fact, it's long been said that David was a man after God's own heart. To have the type of hope that leads you to have that sort of reputation is pretty amazing. Even though David had done something maybe a couple of some things in his life that were pretty significant mistakes. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see these stories, Noah, Joseph, Moses, Jonah, David. And all of these stories, as we talk about the hope of rebuilding people and we talk about uh, even when things get bleak and dark, God is there and there is hope. All of it leads to the moment that Jesus arrives. And Jesus embodies the idea of hope. He personifies the idea of hope. So I thought today that we could break down hope a little bit. So if you've got something to write on, this is probably the only thing I would want you to write down. But we're going to talk about what hope is and how we can break it down uh, a little bit further. So if we take each letter of hope and we start with the H, what I think hope stands for and what I think hope means when I think of hope, the first thing that we need to do is acknowledge that we need help. We need to acknowledge that we need help. Because in those moments where things feel hopeless, that's when we need the most help and there really is only one way that we can get that help I mean we can always call on others we can call on our best friends to come in and and try and make us feel better or we can uh, have surround us with people that we know are going to pray for us and encourage us but in our darkest moments in the moments where we feel like there is nothing else that can help us and save us, the only thing that will is God. When I think about teenagers and 
kids in their upper 20s and even adults who feel like they've gotten to a point in life where everything is meaningless and there is no way to survive it, that they think about ending their own life and then one simple song comes along. I mean, their call volume that night that he performed this song increased 50%. These are kids who are screaming out, I need help. And as a church, as a Bible-believing person, we have a mission to provide help. The O is, I think, opportunity. We have a decision to make. If we are going to claim that we follow Jesus, if we are going to come to church and say that we believe in in this God thing and we believe in what the Bible says, then we have an opportunity, a decision to make, that we are going to provide help when it's needed. You see, the first thing that we need to do when we, have, when we need hope is we need to acknowledge that we need the help. Then we have an opportunity, a decision to make that we are going to both A, accept it for ourselves and then also give it away, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we need to acknowledge that we need help and then we have an opportunity, a choice to make. Are we going to take that help? Are we going to share that help? The P, I think, is a paradox. Hope is a paradox. And the reason I think that is because the world today around us constantly barrages us with messages that there is no hope in some areas of our life. I mean, why do you think there are so many kids reaching out to a suicide prevention hotline? Just from a song. It's because they've been told and they've been made to believe that everything around them is meaningless. And that comes in a lot of different forms. I understand that. It's from these other kids at school who think that they're so much better than everybody else, bullying them into thinking that they're nothing. It's from them watching TV and seeing commercials with unrealistic expectations that they'll never be able to meet. Makes them think that they'll just be worthless if they continue on. You see, the world around us is constantly hitting us with messages that hope is meaningless. There isn't anything meaningful about this existence. You just decide to keep going on and chugging along. Or you can end it early. That's, I think, the message that the world sends us. But hope says something different. Hope is a promise that there's something good, even in the meaningless. Hope says that there's something more than what this world has to offer. And if we acknowledge the help and we decide that there is an opportunity to accept that help and share that help, the paradox is that that there is hope, that Jesus provides us hope. And if we go through those three things, if we acknowledge that we need help and we make that decision, we take that opportunity to accept that help, we realize that there's this paradox in the world that the world wants us to be beaten down at every turn. But we understand that hope means that there's more, that Jesus offers more. 
then we have a duty to evangelism. Help, opportunity, paradox, and evangelism. You see, if we accept hope in our own lives, the, whole, the only type of hope that Jesus can offer, that only Jesus can offer, if we decide to accept that, make that decision, take that opportunity to apply it to our own lives, that we understand that, the, that it's a paradox, it goes counter to what the world offers, then we should feel compelled to share. It's like if we were given an opportunity to do something amazing, whatever that is for you personally, if you were given an opportunity to do something incredible, but you didn't tell anybody about it, could you do that? If you were given an opportunity to do something, whatever it is for you personally, would you be able to keep it to yourself? That's what hope is. Hope is an incredible opportunity. And we should feel compelled to share it. If we keep it to ourselves, we're doing scripture and we're doing Jesus and injustice. You see, hope is organizations traveling to Africa and teaching them how to farm better to prevent famine this ongoing famine that they've had for generations because they've just been farming wrong. Hope is traveling to India where the government is currently trying to crack down on Christianity and sharing the gospel of Jesus because you know it's important. Hope is going to your next door neighbor and just offering them cookies and telling them about what you believe. Because even our neighbors need it. <laughs> you see, hope is this really interesting thing that we see all throughout Scripture. Let's throw that verse from First Peter back up, if we could. <clears throat> This verse, I think, stood out to me in a really powerful way this morning. It's the, it's the beginning of this book, and, and most of the books in the New Testament you'll read will start something like this, where they're praising or uh, talking about how amazing God is. But the line, In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. All throughout Scripture, we see these stories, and we've talked about the stories from the Old Testament, and we've talked about the Gospels, and we've talked about the early church, and we've talked about the letters that Paul writes to all these churches all through the New Testament. But every single story that we tell and every single lesson that we learn and every single Sunday school that we sit through and every single sermon that we hear or song that we sing, all of it is because of the living hope that Jesus offers us. 
when we have received and when we make the decision to take help and, and apply hope to our own life, that's a message that we can't keep to ourselves. I was um, <clears throat> convicted, maybe you're the right word, I don't know if it is, but there was a statement put out uh, recently <clears throat> called the Nashville Statement. I don't know if anybody read it, but um, it's several articles detailing about the church's stance on several different issues. Um, but I saw somebody comment on it the other day, and um, it was an interesting comment. Uh, he said, statements like this uh, really do damage to the Great Commission. And I thought to myself, well, that's an interesting thing to say. I think we read two different articles then. (laughs) It's because the Great Commission asks us to go into the world teaching about the gospel and baptizing those who decide to follow it. And I thought, a a statement of faith is the Great Commission. It's standing up for what the Bible teaches. And it's saying that you agree with what the Bible teaches about love and about truth. And that's the type of hope that God offers. Grace that covers a multitude of sin. You can put all sorts of different labels on sin. But sin is sin and grace is grace. And when we accept grace, and we take grace, and we acknowledge grace, it provides us the living hope that we will not, this isn't the end of the road for us. That there's more to life than what the world has to offer. Help, opportunity, paradox, and evangelism. If we accept it, we have to be compelled to share it. It's what Jesus called us to do. To go into the world and to share. If you won the lottery, maybe not the lottery, but if you won like a hundred (laughs) bucks, it'd be hard to keep it to yourself. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to keep it to myself. Well, maybe I would, because I don't want anybody to borrow it. (laughs) But I'm selfish. Don't be selfish like me. But if you come into an opportunity that maybe was unexpected, it's hard for us to keep it to ourselves. And that's what hope is, and that's what hope does. And so the message that I want to take away from this today is that if I make a decision to accept hope as a part of what I believe, that Jesus offers me grace and covers my sin and offers me hope for more than what this world has to offer, I have to be compelled to tell everyone I see about it. That hope is something more than what this world can offer anyone. That hope is what brings us 
to him. Father, thank you for this message. God, I truly do think that this world is short on hope. Dangerously short. God, um, I know that it's sometimes difficult for us to share what we believe with those that are around us. We don't want people to get the wrong idea. We don't want people to not accept us. But God, the simple fact of the matter is that you've called us to share that message with everyone we come in contact with. God, help me to not worry about acceptance because I only need to be accepted by you. Nobody here can save me. Only you can. And so God, help me to turn and help me to share hope with those around me. God, we need you most of all. Because you provide us that hope. You provide us that promise. That if we would call on you, that if we would believe in you, that if we would give our heart to you, that you would break that bondage, that you would clear the gap for us to be with you. God, we earnestly pray for that today. Guide us with your spirit to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.